You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Jesus, uh, people love him, but they really don't know him. (laughs) Honestly, if you do a survey in the United States right now, there's a lot of what we would call biblical illiteracy. Just the basic facts. When I teach world religions, we get to Christianity at FGCU, I, <laughs> we have this little, you know, cahoot where you put, and it's like, it's amazing what they don't know. Just the basics. The basics. We don't know. And so what happens often is we make Jesus into whatever projection wish dream that we have. We make him in our own image. And that seems good, you know, so Jesus can be my coach or my therapist or my mentor or my homeboy or my whatever, my friend person I can call on and he'll just affirm me and love me and that's all wonderful but that Jesus that you project the Jesus of your own making will never be able to really change you or transform you because he will never be able to challenge you because he's just you (laughs) and he'll only come and confirm what you already believe bless what you're already doing and encourage you to keep going because you're just so special, right? That's not the Jesus we find simply or profoundly presented in the gospel. And today we're going to be starting again in the first chapter. We're going to kind of walk through this. Now, like I said, we're probably not going to get through the entire gospel of Mark and um, this series to start with. We'll break the series up so that you're not like totally like, oh my goodness, we're in the Gospel of Mark for three months, you know. But we are going to enjoy quite a bit of it all the way through Easter and a little thereafter at least. Let's read Mark 1, 9 through 15. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, in just these few verses, Mark simply but profoundly is retelling the entire history of the world. I know you go like, what? Yes, the entire history of the world and life, the universe, the meaning of it all and everything. In just these few verses. Now, at first glance, you go like, what? It was so simple, I don't understand. We probably read through those verses and not see it. But what he's showing us is creation and the brokenness of the fall and redemption and mission and purpose and direction all in this. To unpack these verses, um, I think I'm going to have to use a metaphor. I've used it before because it's a good one. And it's a metaphor that does come from the early church. Uh, Different church fathers, especially the Greek fathers, um, used this term and what it's related to. It's the Greek word perichoresis. 
perichoresis. Can you, that's the, yes. I know, you're probably going like, I don't know. Yes, perichoresis. Okay, can you say perichoresis? Yeah, very good. Now you've got a new Greek word to throw around. Um, it really means peri. Have you ever heard that word perimeter? Around? Choresis. Choreography? Dance. Fascinating, right? Um, it's used to say this is who God is, that he is Father, Son, and Spirit, and in, with, and under each person is the others. They're always in Working together, you never get simply one. You always get all three. All three are involved. All three are in this perfect community, this dance or joy of love and mercy and grace from eternity. So what I'm all really saying is this. There is, here are three points. There's a relational dance at the heart of life. And... Your job, your real goal in life is to really get involved in that dance. And Jesus is the one who will enter you into that dance. So the relational dance, where do I get this? It's from uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 10 to 11. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. You might have heard about the baptism of Jesus before, and you look at it, and you don't really think too much. But Mark is saying, hey, this is a scene behind all scenes. This is what's going on in the heavens. This is what God is all about. He is revealing himself to us, making himself vulnerably open to us to show us what's at the heart of the entire universe. And it's a dance. A father who speaks the words of belovedness on his son, and the spirit empowering and giving mission. What's interesting, too, is um, this is the only place outside of one other in all the scriptures, well, that talk about Jesus or the spirit being a dove. Okay? It's an unusual term. When Mark wrote this, they probably go like, where does this come from? Because it's not found anywhere but one, and that is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. At the creation of the world, it says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, the original Hebrew was kind of hard to understand. What, what does it mean by hovering and all of this stuff? And so the Targums which are um, Aramaic translations of the Hebrew. And it's like, what? Yeah, Jesus actually spoke Aramaic. Um, so if you ever saw The Passion of the Christ, it's in Aramaic with subtitles for all of us, because I don't know Aramaic either. It's a derivative of Hebrew. But in the Aramaic translation in the Targums, it says that the spirit fluttered above the face of the waters like a dove to explain what that means. In other words, Mark is saying here at the beginning of Jesus' baptism that you are seeing Father, Son, and Spirit working together in unity. He's drawing back and saying his creation was an act of the tri-personal God, that God got involved, and he was a community of love between all three and then loved and created the world. So now the redemption... The recreation of the world is an act of the tri-personal God, a relational dance of God's love. And I'm 
titling this whole series Simply Jesus, and you're going like, this isn't simple at all. (laughs) Why the Trinity? You know, when I was in grade school, I can remember we were talking about the Trinity. We had to memorize, you know, all this stuff and the creeds and everything. And you're going like, what's this all about? I don't understand it. And I thought, yeah, this was created by some medieval theologians to try to confuse and confound us all to keep them in power and us wondering what's going on. But when you get Jesus, you get the Trinity. It's not just simply Jesus. You can't get simply Jesus. You don't get just one. You get all three at once. And on the surface, it's difficult. It overloads the brain. But after I've done some more reading on the Trinity over the years and seeing all the implications, I realized it's really vital to understand that God's intent, who God is, what the world is, why we are here, what's, it's all about a community of love. Everything's about relationships, we say here at Thrive, and we mean that. The Father and Son and Holy Spirit live in glorifying the other, in serving the other, in giving deference to the other, in dancing with each other, in a sense. Always in movement. C.S. Lewis said this in one of his works. He said, Christianity, God is not an impersonal thing nor a static thing. Not even just one person, but a dynamic pulsating activity, a life, a kind of drama almost. If you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. God is all about giving and serving and loving and and being with. And that's what real life is too, isn't it? You know, real life isn't about just me getting what I want. Although our uh, culture tends to think that. It's pretty empty. It's really about community, always has been. Another theologian, Cornelius Plantinga, he's actually a philosopher. He said it this way. He said, self-giving love is the dynamic currency of Trinitarian life of God. The persons within God exalt each other, commune with each other, defer to one another. In constant movement of overture and acceptance, each person envelops and encircles the other. And one uh, another theologian, Jürgen Moltmann, puts it this way, creation is a part of the eternal love affair between the Father and the Son. It springs from the Father's love for the Son. In other words, God created out of love because he already was love, and he created a world not to, to love. He created it to love not because he needed love. He already had it. And The world is redeemed by the answering love of the Son for the Father. The Son comes into this world to love this world, even when the world has rejected the God who created it. That is why, he says, we have indeed to see the history of creation as the tragedy of the divine love, that God suffers along with this world, that deals with this world, the brokenness, the waywardness, as a parent does to a wayward child and woos them back in, but must also view the history of redemption as a feast of divine joy that Jesus enters the picture and celebrates and rejoices and welcomes and seeks out the lost. That's, you know, so the Bible's not the story of, uh, or moral book of virtues, you know. It's like, you better do this, you better not do that. It's a story, God's story, of how he has created, how he has loved, how he has set things up, how he is redeeming, how he is... He's changing our lives and how he wants us to be a part of the dance. 
When you simply get Jesus, you also get community. Ultimate reality is this community of love. So relationships are everything, as we say, and it's about giving and receiving and celebrating. And so it's not about, you know, church is not about the show. It's not about the hour that you plug in, plug out of. It's not about information. It's not about a good sermon. It's not, it's about the relationships. It's about how God has created us in relationship, how we can serve and love one another, how we are just reflecting what he already is. And the more you do in serving and giving and receiving and thanking and praising and deferring to one another, the richer your life is. That's what life's really all about. And your greatest need is to enter into it. Have you ever noticed, though, too, this is, I mean, if you truly do observe the world, everything is in motion. Nothing centered on itself. You know, there was a time when we believed the world was the center of the universe, right? A geocentric, you know, and the stars orbited around the earth and the sun and the moon. And um, we got off to a heliocentric, where the sun was the center of, well, and then we found out the sun isn't the center, because the sun is part of the Milky Way galaxy, and it's in movement as well. And even the Milky Way galaxy is part of a larger dance. And every form of life on this earth is not static and standing there. It's always in dynamic relations, in an ecology, in a web of life. We're always interrelated. And we need to be a part of that. That's what church really is, if it's really church. It's not a thing you do. It's relationships that you're involved in. That's why we've pushed so much here that life's all about those relationships. Relationships are everything. So your need is to get into it. And the problem is we're not naturally in it. <laughs> this world, you can see, especially with the news lately, seems like a battle of competing agendas, doesn't it? American culture is all about what I can get. It's focused on individualism. It's focused on, yeah, relationships are nice, but I use them to get what I want. Have you ever noticed that? So long as, I'm your friend, so long as it's fun, so long as I can borrow, so long as it's convenient, well, then it's, that's not the relationships that we're talking about here. That's just self-centeredness. You know, and the whole goal in American culture now, the American dream is to gain money and power and experiences and fun and significance and my achievements and all that stuff. It's very individualized. And as a result, no wonder we have so much despair and hopelessness, and especially when we can't get what we want. Relationships actually are secondary in our society. They don't really matter. They're just stepping stones. Another say, way of saying that is that selfishness is what really seems to be the center of it all. And have you ever noticed what selfishness really is? It's where I stay put and want everything to orbit around me. I become the center of my universe, and you happen to be one of the planetary satellites around my life. I set my agenda. I declare my personal rights. 
I try to get everybody and everything to bend to my will. We see that in dictators small and great, by the way. So a two-year-old tries to center, right? Time and again, a two-year-old tries to center all of life on me and get everyone to follow me. Self-absorbed and self-absorbing. Also, you can find that in dictators, great and small. They might use tanks or they might just use toys. But we're all the same that way. And so we look at the Trinity, and we might think it's a totally abstract doctrine, but it really tells us what the meaning of life is. It's Jesus' self-disclosure that he is never for himself. He's always glorifying the Father, always deferring to the Father, always moved by the Spirit, always serving others and looking outside of it. And you might be shocked at this. Um, that a pastor would ever say, we've got too much God talk in our society. I'd rather strip God talk out of our society. Because most God talk is monotheistic monologue talk. God is used as a rubber stamp to say me in one form or another, or is understood as God being pretty darn e egocentric himself and just trying to dictate and tell other people what to do and when to do it. That is not the God of the scriptures. To speak of God is to speak of him as community, or you're not speaking of God properly. Now, in the early church, there was a huge debate, and I know this is getting into theology that you might never want to know. Um, there was a huge debate between two different people, both trying to be, quote, biblical. One was named Arius and the other Athanasius. And maybe you've heard of the Athanasian Creed before. But Arius was the one who tried to say that God was monotheistic, that God was the all-powerful being, pure, perfect, above all, transcendent, and in a sense, incapable of being connected to this dirty little world that was filled with all sorts of things. And so Jesus is not truly God. He is God's first creation. And God stays above it all. He may love the world, but Jesus is a model to follow. And Athanasius said, that kind of God is not a God at all that's really alive. You've created a static God. And then everything in life would just be a power play. Athanasius says, no, that's not the God that I see in Scripture at all. The God that we see in the person of Jesus Christ is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who give and serve and love between themselves. And as Arthur C. McGill would say and summarize up Athanasius' points, he says, God's divinity does not consist in his ability to push things around, to make it break, to impose his will from the security of some heavenly remoteness, and to sit in grandeur while the world does his bidding. Far from staying above the world, he sends his own glory into it. Far from imposing, he invites and persuades. Far from demanding service from men in order to enhance himself, he gives his life and service to men for their enhancement. But God acts toward the world in this way because within himself, he is the life of self-giving something worthy of thinking about for a while and the implications of that. 
Since God ultimately from the beginning is a tri-personal God, a community, he didn't create the world because he was bored. He didn't create it because he needed anything. He didn't create it to get something from you or to use you or to use others. He didn't create it because he was lonely. He didn't create it to get more glory. He already had all the glory, all the deference. He had all the love he could possibly. He, gave, he created the world out of love, to love more, to give more, to defer to more, to be thrilled with more, to give joy to more. And when God says, glorify me or honor me or worship me alone, he's not trying to say, boost my ego and stroke it at all. He's trying to invite us into the dance, to invite us into that wonderful community of joy and fellowship and love. And when Jesus will say later in the Gospel of Mark, you know, in order to save yourself, you better lose yourself. The first will be last, etc. All he's really saying is exactly who God has been from the beginning, who totally gives himself to the other in the Trinity. He's saying, enter into the dance. Understand that life is not about what you gain and get and accumulate and how high on the ladder of success you go. It's about how much you can pour out, pass on, how much you can serve and love and make a difference. You know that. Probably some of the most important and significant events in your life, if you look back and say, I was so joyful when you were serving somebody else. For me, many times it's been um, on mission trips, Nicaragua, Haiti, where you are just not focused on, hey, how much fun am I having, you know? But you're focused on, we're building a house for somebody that just was living in a, you know, a hut made out of plastic and pieces of wood and little tin that would blow over in any windstorm. And now we're building a brick home for them and with them and partnering with them. And they're filled with joy and we're just serving. And I, you know, those are some of the most important events you've ever had. So God has created us for being in a community of joy into a dance. And as we center our lives on him, we find out that he has centered his whole creation on us. Isn't that amazing? That you are the apple of his eye. You are the joy that he, that when we wake up every morning, he rejoices over you. He celebrates. He calls you the one in whom he is pleased. So how do we get into this dance? Jesus will bring us in. Mark writes it this way. Um, the spirit then, after this baptism, immediately drove him into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. This is a repeat, or what is called a recapitulation, basically the history of the world. It's amazing, right? There was a first Adam who was placed in a garden, a garden of God's delight and joy. 
A first Adam and Eve who were placed in community in perfect harmony. A first Adam and Eve who were placed in a position of cultivating and culturing and, and enjoying and recelebrating and building and growing. And God said, obey me about a tree, the tree of good and evil. Trust me. Center your life on me rather than on your own agenda. And they rejected that and said, no, we want to be the center of our own will and power and ability. But Jesus now, and they were with the wild animals, right? Do you remember that? He names all the animals and the, everything's in harmony. And here now Jesus, to redeem a world, is not put into a garden but sent out into the wilderness. And he is with the wild animals and in the chaos that has resulted from the rebellion of the first Adam. And God also calls to him his father and says, obey me about the tree. But it's not the tree of good and evil or the tree of life. It's the tree of the cross. And we see the struggle that Jesus himself even experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane, the anti-Eden, in a sense, the night before he will face that cross where he cries out finally, your will be done, not my own, even though it goes against me. He centers his life on the Father even though that means obeying him about the tree means he will be put to death. He will not gain life. What does Jesus get out of the cross, by the way? Do you ever wonder about that? What does he get? Why go there? He had all the glory he could possibly have beforehand. He had all the love that he could have. He had everything beforehand. He gets nothing from the cross. And we see there, again, the Trinity at work where God is a God of self-giving love. He sacrifices all for your sake to welcome you into the dance. Isn't that amazing? I think, Carl, you, you said it a, a while back in a sermon, or no, at our support dinner, I think, that th it, this is the only faith, Christianity, that talks about a God who actually suffers. I think something like that. That God actually feels and experiences and goes through exactly what we've gone through, and even more so for our sake. That is the gospel that we see, and we see that when Jesus goes into the wilderness. And by the way, in the gospel of Mark, it never says that Satan leaves him for a later time, Jesus is tempted all the way through the entire gospel of Mark, and he overcomes it time and again. And so what we find out is that the, uh, the whole history of the Bible is really a history of how God suffers with this world, puts up with our rebellion. Uh, Jürgen Moltmann says that there's a history of God's suffering. At moments of God's profoundest revelation, there's always suffering. The cry of the captives in Egypt, Jesus' death cry on the cross, the sighing of the whole enslaved creation for liberty. God suffers with us. God suffers from us. God suffers for us. It's his, this experience of God that reveals the triune God. The triune God is a God who is vulnerable to us, who suffers with us, who comes alongside of us and weaves his entire being into the history of our lives. And so Jesus then, after the wilderness, here at the end of our reading today in the Gospel of Mark, 
uh, says, now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom is opened up to us. Jesus has been baptized into it to usher in the kingdom. And he says, it's, this is what it is. A welcome, a celebration, an invitation to the dance. To be a part of life that means so much more than trying to get stuff. And that word repent, you know, boy, I think we really don't understand it much at all. Repentance often seems like, oh, that's a word for groveling, for feeling bad, for, for trying to abuse yourself and self-flagellate yourself and make yourself miserable. It's nothing of the sort. The Greek word is metanoia, meta being change and noia being mind. Change your mind. Think differently. See the world the way God intended it and the way the world that God is redeeming it. It's about relationships of love. And so Jesus, because of what he has done for us, we can enter into that dance. We can be in relationships. We can be a church that aspires. We're not there. That aspires where relationships are everything. And we can grow together and display to this world what true life, the life of being loved by God and loving others because of the love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is. We join in that dance. Let's pray. Lord God, this day, um, <laughs> thank you, Lord. Thank you, uh, Jesus, when you came and you simply proclaimed who you were and, and, and underwent baptism, you displayed for this whole world what's behind the universe, Lord, what's behind life, what matters most. And Jesus, as you entered the wilderness and were tempted and suffered, and as you call us into the kingdom, Lord God, we just thank you for that. We're amazed that we can be in community with you and with each other. Lord, you know how we have uh, worked at trying to do that more here, Lord, and how often we have failed. Forgive us for that, Lord God. Help us to be more and more a community that's filled with your joy, filled with your love, and reaches out to serve others and to show what life is, the life that you've made, Lord because you have loved this world so much you gave your son that whoever believes in him has eternal life, will not perish, but is welcomed in to the community of Father, Son, and Spirit. We thank you for that, Lord God. We lift up to you today, O oh Lord, especially right now we grieve with the people of Ukraine. We grieve, Lord, with the breakdown and how it's power and domination. And Lord, instead of relationships and community and service, we pray, O oh Lord, that you show your mercy and that you also bring your justice to bear. 
We pray, Lord God, that you would raise up wise leaders, humble leaders, Lord, courageous leaders, both within and without of Ukraine, around this world, Lord, that somehow what you want to see there is accomplished, not the will of any other individual, but your will be done, Lord, and your kingdom come among and through the people there and in all the nations of this world, Lord God. <coughs> we lift up to you our brothers and sisters as well in Haiti. We've been there before. We've had students there before. We can, Lord, we know Lafon is there. We know how corrupt and how broken um, the government is, as well as all the violence and the gangs and everything. And we, we just pray your kingdom comes and your mercy is shown. And we thank you, Lord, for the partnerships we've had there, Lord, and see where relationships really do matter. It's not about stuff and material things specifically, but about our relationship with you and how we can love and serve each other with whatever resources we have. We thank you, Lord God, uh, for our campus ministry. We pray as students uh, begin to come back from spring break that they have been refreshed, that you protect them on their travels today. And at FGCU, Lord, that you just have our ministry as well as all the other Christian campus ministries grow, Lord, that your kingdom comes to that university. And not simply to the college students, but also to the faculty and staff, Lord. We pray that our relationships and our relations there, Lord, just grow and flourish. Lord, for um, the land that you have given us over by FGCU, the possibilities of that future there, Lord God, we know you need to work out many, 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 many details, but we lift that to you as well. We thank you for our recent support dinner, for the support we have seen, for the vision you've given to us at this time, Lord. And we pray that you open the right opportunities at the right time to make a difference for the sake of your kingdom in this community. Lord, as we uh, conclude this time of prayer, we ask that you would prepare our hearts to offer to you our whole lives. And as we give our tithes and offerings this day, that we would also offer ourselves to you, that they are just a token of our whole life given to you, Lord God. And as we also give to you uh, your praise and honor that is, glor uh, your that is due your name, that we would, you would also prepare us to receive the Lord's Supper this day as you have come to us, Lord Jesus, in the most intimate and profound way to bring us into communion with yourself, Lord, that we would enjoy the community that you call us into as friends, as disciples. All this we pray, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. <laughs>